Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here with you, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, welcome to all of our visitors. There's a number of you that have chosen to come here this morning, and we're grateful for that. I just invite you to join us in worship. We are common, ordinary people. I suppose a number of you were blessed by the songs that we sang, some old familiar songs that we sang, songs that have meaning. I think most of the hymns that we sing have meaning, and, uh, but I was just blessed by a number of those songs and the messages that were in them. Brother Vanson is at Roselawn this morning preaching, and Brother Ken is in Florida. I don't know that he's preaching, but he's in Florida. We've accused him of shuffleboarding today, maybe. I don't know what he's doing. <clears throat> Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Father, we bow now in your presence and we acknowledge that we need you and that we need your spirit to convey this morning's message to our hearts. <clears throat> Father, I pray that our hearts would be open and honest and receptive to the word and that you would help me to be faithful to the word and that together we would learn truths that would help us in our walk with you and our walk with each other. And so we, we just plead for your presence and your guidance this morning as we look into your word. And we'll give you honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in the past, probably five to ten years, maybe even more, if you've been paying any attention to what's been happening in society, and I'm assuming most of you have heard or have taken some time to look at news clips or read news articles on the happenings of our day, we, you would conclude with me that there is a, an increase of violence and an increase of, a, of disregard of authority in the world today, especially in the Western world and in the, the um, 
the society of the United States of America. Would you agree that that is what, you, what, we, what we're seeing? There are a number of years ago, about three to five years ago, there were riots as a result because of, um, because of people who were in authority, who overstepped their authority in some of those instances, and individuals died because of it, which gave way to riots and other violence. <clears throat> and it seemed like society was primed to let go of their feelings and their emotions. There were in a number of cities, autonomous zones set up. What those autonomous zones were, were several city blocks where no law was allowed. No authority was allowed. In fact, in either Portland or Seattle, I, I can't remember which one, the police precinct was in the middle or was inside one of these zones and they so violently attacked the police precinct that they burned it that the police moved out. And they set up this zone with no law, no given authority in it and they decided that they were going to be their own law and dictate how this area is going to be run. And if you followed that, you would read how that area is devastated by lawlessness. But in some of these individuals' minds, that is exactly how it should be. We should be able to rule ourselves. We should be a law unto ourselves. It was, in some of those areas, they wouldn't even let first responders, EMTs, and fire and rescue come. If someone was injured, they were going to take care of it themselves. But as you can imagine, it didn't work. And I think within the last year or so, those zones, those areas were dismantled and I think there's a semblance of law and order, at least to some degree. Some of those cities, the mayors did capitulate to them and say, okay, fine, we won't have any more police presence, and we'll even defund our police so that you won't experience any authority anymore. <clears throat> I wonder this morning, When we think about those things, most of us would sit here or do sit here and we wonder how that can be. And we wonder, we shake our heads a little bit <clears throat> because it makes no sense to us. For us, order and authority is necessary. Or I'm assuming most of us understand that, that authority and order is actually necessary. <clears throat> now I think it's fair to say that probably a lot of us or some of us 
maybe all of us, have in our lifetime experienced authority that didn't seem right or that didn't feel right. I hesitate using the word feel because that's what our society does a lot. We feel things and we can make things that aren't because we feel things. So I hesitate using that term, but the fact is it does, we do experience things at times from an, an authority standpoint that doesn't seem right to us and it can affect the way we view authority. So my question to us this morning is how do you, how do we, how do I view authority? How should the Christian view authority? And is our view of authority different than the non-believer? Should it be different than the non-believer? The title of my message this morning is The Authority and Structure of the Church. The Authority and the Structure of the Church. You might think that's a bit strange. But we live in an age when authority is... is often not appreciated. And, and I can look back in my own life and I, I can give you an exa- one example that stood out to me in my own life where I did not appreciate authority and God had to hammer and chisel away some of those things with, his, with taking me through some experiences that, that showed me that my attitude towards that particular authority was wrong. And he did so over a period of two years. And it showed me that even though I disagreed with that authority, which was my boss at the time, that he was still my authority. God placed me in a position of authority and I all of a sudden understood the the demands and the pressures of leading, of doing it well. And that's when he took us to the mission field. God put us in that position to lead a congregation down there and to to be administrator of the mission. And all of a sudden I understood that leadership or being in authority or responsibility for something is a big deal. And when I came back, I had opportunity to go and apologize to my boss. He hired me back, by the way. He shouldn't have, maybe, but he did. And I had had opportunity to go back and apologize to him. And we had a good relationship from there on. And I still do. I can still talk to him um, to this day. Feels good to, to have that relationship. How do we view authority? How should the Christian view authority? That's my first question that I want to put out to you. How should a Christian view authority, and is our view of authority different than the non-believer? Second question is, does the church have authority? And if so, where does that authority come from? And how should it be demonstrated, or how should it be used? And so that's the gist of my, my message this morning. To begin with, I'd like to just take a look 
at authority itself and try to, try to determine, try to help us understand what it means, uh, what the, the Bible defines as authority and how we should, as Christians, view authority in general. I'm not necessarily now talking specifically about the church. That will be my second part of the message. But in the first part of the message, I want to just look at how the Christian should view authority, a biblical understanding of authority. How have you viewed authority in your life in the past? Do you view authority as something that is essential, that is positive, something that enables us and helps us? Do you view authority as something that gives us direction and guidance? Or do we view it, do you view it as restrictive, annoying, and unreasonable? And if you're not sure, if you're not sure how you view authority, something that I have tried to train myself in doing, and I, this isn't original with me, but I've had mentors in the past who have tried to establish this and help me see this, is if you're not sure how you view authority, then ask someone that's close to you. If you're married, ask your spouse. How do, I, how do you think I view authority? How do I respond to authority when I am confronted by it or when I interact with authority? If you're not married and you're single, ask a close friend. Someone that you know will tell you honestly what they think. And then accept what they say as truth. And if you need to change, then we need to change. Another thing that is helpful is to just take inventory for the past five years, maybe three years or two years, and ask yourself, how have I responded recently to authority in my life? What has happened in my life where I've been called on to respond to authority or interact with authority? I would like to suggest this morning that how we view authority and how we interact with authority and respond to authority reflects how we think and believe about God. Turn with me, with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. In this passage, I would just like to look at three simple basic things to help us think about how we ought to interact or view authority. And then I would also like to read a portion in... First Peter, Romans chapter 13, and I'll read the first seven verses. It says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist 
shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I'm going to stop there. And if you just recognize those last couple things, Jesus himself said basically the same thing when they asked him who they should uh, give their tribute to or, or their taxes to or honor them, he said, well, to Caesar, that which is Caesar, and to God, that which is God. And so Paul here in Romans is talking to us about how we should view authority. Now, he is addressing authorities in an earthly sense. Authorities in the government, authorities that are are in the workplace, you name it. And I think, brothers and sisters, this morning, we can apply this to just about every area of our lives. Whether you're in school and you have teachers and administrators or you are an employee at a workplace or you are a citizen of the United States living in the state of Indiana, Wherever you're living, we are called to honor those who are in authority over us. Why is that? Several things we want to just observe out of this passage. The first thing we want to observe is that God is the source of all authority. This is how we should approach all authority. This is how our attitude should be shaped towards authority, understanding that all authority comes from God because God himself is authority. When we're born again, brothers and sisters, we ought to automatically know that our attitude towards authority changes. And I know that sometimes we have deep-seated things that hang on to us. But there should be a progression of honor towards authority. My heart attitude should be, begin to be bent towards authority because God himself is authority. The authoritative creator of the universe in His infinite wisdom, has given us the gift of His authority. In His infinite goodness, he, create, he created boundaries and laws so that all things could work well. Did you ever think about that? Our Creator, our authoritative Creator, created 
boundaries so that things would work the way they are intended to work. And when we don't understand that, we go against His authority. Chaos happens, just like I said in my opening. It was chaotic. Businesses shut down and left. People moved out of the area because it wasn't safe anymore. There was no law or no authority in those areas, and it didn't work. God in His wisdom says there has to be authority. And in authority comes law. The scary thing, if you want to look at it that way, is that He gives you and me a portion of that authority. In Genesis, He says that you are to rule this earth. Right? He gives to mankind a portion of His authority. And when we have a bad view or focus of authority, how can we do well with the authority that's been given to us here on earth? How can we? How can we do well with that? It's a good thing. The second thing that I want to look at is that authority, according to this passage, is a good thing. Those in authority are ministers of God's authority for your protection and my protection. For those who, are, who, who want to do good, for those who, who, whose heart is bent towards good, authority and law is beneficial. Authority is good. Now, if my heart's bent towards wickedness and evil or all of that, then I ought to be afraid because authority is there to punish me. But ultimately, it is for my good if I respond correctly. How do you respond to the authority in your life? Jonathan Lehman says it this way, good authority authors and creates. It organizes and arranges. It builds and encourages. Good authority binds in order to loose. It corrects in order to teach. It trims in order to grow. It disciplines in order to train. It legislates in order to build. And it judges in order to redeem. It is the teacher teaching. It is the coach coaching. It is the mother Mothering. Authority is the rules in the game. It is the lines in the road. And it is the covenant in a marriage. That's the beauty of authority. Good authority. Good authority. It is essential for our well-being. It is a must for us to thrive spiritually and physically. The third thing we want to look at is a warning. It says to resist authority is resisting God's authority. 
And it says that when we do that, we bring damnation or judgment on ourselves. You know, we have this tendency in our carnal hearts to resist and dishonor authority. Do we not? I do. And I suspect that all of us are human enough that there are times in our lives when we, we, just, we just hardly cannot handle some of the authorities that we bump into. It's difficult. A simple example of this is when a police officer stops you for some infraction in driving or you did something wrong. And if that police officer comes up to you and is belligerent and sort of in your face, what's your response? Now, we're Christians, so we know well, we, we, we can't respond the way... But, but, but what, is, what is the initial reaction in your, in your heart? Doesn't that say a little bit about how carnal we can be, how our carnality still sets in there? Of course, hopefully the Holy Spirit overrides that and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, can't do that. You are not that kind of person. You are a child of the king, and they don't operate that way. And if we haven't grown much, maybe we do let our carnality out every once in a while. What about among ourselves, or what about when you're in the workplace what happens then when the boss comes and confronts you about something? Or maybe the boss is just a little bit unhandy. Maybe he has been just a little bit that way to you. First Peter Chapter 2, verse 13 through 24. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, or as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Are you catching what he's saying here? you following what he's saying. It says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. In today's language, we say to the mean and the unhandy. The ones that just make life miserable for you. Be subject to your masters. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Even... For even whereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that they should follow his steps. 
I'm going to stop there. Do you understand what I'm saying here? How should a Christian respond to authority? What's your attitude? What's my attitude towards authority in general? And now we want to go into the authority and the structure of the church. And, and I understand, brothers and sisters, that sometimes when we talk about these things, we, we sort of cringe a little bit. I, I trust that's not what we do this morning. My goal this morning is not to be negative about the authority of the church, but to be positive. That makes sense. Remember we said authority in our lives is actually positive. God has ordained authority so that we can flourish and grow and be effective as humans and as his children. And so as we think about the authority of the church, does the, does the church have authority this morning? That's, those are questions that have been asked, that I've been asked. It's questions that I've asked personally. Does the church have authority? Does the, the Bible speak to this subject? And if so, where does the authority come from and how should it be practiced in the church? I'm going to approach this from two points that concern the local church. The first one is this, the local body, I'm approaching this authority that belongs to the congregation. Authority in the church belongs to the body of Christ. We're not talking universal body. We're talking locally here. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there is a, a certain amount of authority that is given to us corporately. That together, when we bond together in our commitment in Christ and to each other, we have a certain amount of authority that is given to us by Christ. The second thing that I'm going to look at is the authority that is given to the leadership of the church. And that's going to be the hard one. Okay? So I, I trust, I'm, I'm trusting you with this. Um, but this is, this is where we're going to go with it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Where does the body, us here at Sandy Ridge, the local body, and I'm, the membership here, where do we get authority from? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, and I want to particularly focus on 22 and 23. And, and you've heard me use these verses in prior messages on the church and, and, and we will just hammer this because this is, this is where it comes from, okay? Chapter 1, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding, and, and Paul is bounding to the church at Ephesus here about how God has brought us together in Him, in Christ. Before the world was ever created, He had already had this plan of salvation. And then He's... In verse 18, he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believed according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. Do you understand the words there? Do you understand what Paul's saying there? Paul is just saying, look, I want you guys to understand that God worked tremendously on our behalf to bring us in, in to him through Christ. It's, it's the, he is exalting the plan of salvation in a nutshell here. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities. He's talking about Christ now. Jesus, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet. Now stop there just a little bit. Do you understand what God just did to his son, Jesus? He has put all things under him. In other words, everything is in subjection to Christ. He is in authority over all things. Do you understand the words there? And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And we turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Again, these are familiar because you've heard me preach them recently. He says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Question. What did Jesus just say to Peter? He said, I am going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. There's lots of debates on what that all means. And I don't feel like I can really answer all of it, except Somewhere in there, there's a little bit of authority given. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be here very long. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and you will have the authority to bind and loose things. And whatever you do with that will be recorded in heaven, and it will be so in heaven to the church. To the church, he gives that. Not just to Peter. Not just to the Catholic church. But to the church. And locally, to Sandy Ridge. If you flip over a couple chapters to chapter 18, you would see that he uses the same words. Whatsoever thou loose on earth, I will loose in heaven, and bound, bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. Jesus, the head of the church, is where the church gets its authority. 
Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says this, And Jesus came to them and spake unto them, saying, All authority hath been given unto me. All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Where does the church get, get its authority? It gets its authority from the head of the church, which is Christ. Just as God gives a portion of his authority to mankind to rule the world, to subdue it, so Christ says, look, you, my body, my church, the representation of me here on earth, I give you authority. What does that authority look like? How should that authority be used in the church? What kind of authority do we have as a body? Continuing in Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. He says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I tried to understand what all authority the church has. And as I studied, it, it, it just became clear to me that this is a deep and broad subject. But as I, as I read that passage, I thought, okay, there's, there's at least several things in this passage that we can, we can use as a foundation for our authority here at church. The congregation has the authority to teach. You and I, are given the authority by Christ, the head of the church, to teach, to teach truth, to teach each other. Are we teaching well at Sandy Ridge? Are you exercising your Christ-given authority to teach here at Sandy Ridge? Are you giving... Are you using that authority to teach your children? Are you being used? Are you allowing yourself to be used in the congregation to minister truth to each other? Speaking the truth in love. Exhorting one another. So much more as the day approaches. Are you studying and meditating on His Word? Are you willing to boldly teach without shame or doubt the truths that are in His Word? Our King gives us the authority to teach on His behalf here. Here. 
The second, <clears throat> the second thing that he gives us the authority to do is to baptize in his name. He gives us the authority to baptize in his name. The body of believers is authorized to affirm or to not affirm if someone's testimony is genuine and real. Did you ever think about that? When we receive someone into membership, we ask them to give a public testimony. We give some opportunity for people to observe, to interact with them. We have the authority to judge whether or not the testimony that I say that I have is genuine. And based on that, we grant or don't grant membership. Jesus places in our hands the authority to keep the bride of Christ pure. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's a delicate thing. Sometimes a dangerous thing. And yet he gives it to us. And he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. We're humans, and so we're not going to hit it 100%. But nevertheless, he gives us the authority to baptize in his name. When I say that I am a Christian, I have the tag of Christ here. Then my fruit, my life, better match what I'm saying. The bride of Christ has the authority to say, yes, I agree, you are. You demonstrate. That is who you are. And welcome to the, to the brotherhood. Welcome to the fellowship of those who are in Christ. Or we have the authority to say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can we spend more time? Can we spend more time? So it means that we must make judgment calls on who is qualified in those times. And I must say, we have not had a lot of issues. We've had over the years some. Uh, some years ago, we, we asked a young man to just go through it, through instruction class a second time. We just weren't sure that he understood and with some teaching and some more, some, some more guidance, he came to the place where it, it seemed like it, it finally clicked and he, he understood and we were willing to baptize. We have that. Jesus places that in our hands so that the bride of Christ remains pure and so that the saints stay strong. The second thing we find in that passage in the Great Commission is that of discipling. Right? Call, it says teaching all things. I call that discipling. Christ, the head of the church, gives us the authority to disciple each other in his absence. If Christ was here, he would be discipling us. But he's not here. 
So he goes to the church and says, you, disciple each other. Paul, in Acts 20, declares that he has not shied away from teaching the whole counsel of God to the church at Ephesus. He was teaching them to observe all things. Are we embracing the authority of discipling each other? When was the last time you gave yourself to serve someone else in a one-on-one discipleship? It takes a lot of effort and energy. Some of you that, that have done it faithfully know. But brothers and sisters, let me just admonish us this morning. The church, the bride of Christ, needs faithful disciplers. And if we're not the kind of people that want to do it readily, I understand sometimes schedules are such that it doesn't fit, but if we've never done it, or we just shy away from it, then we have the right to wonder where we're at personally with our Lord. Because if we are enthralled with Him, and if we're in a relationship with Him, then it ought to come out in this way. We have the authority to disciple each other. Are you discipling others around you? There are two other authorities that are not found in Matthew 28. But they are found in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5. And I'm not going to go there because we're running out of time. The next authority that you and I have as a body of believers here at Sandy Ridge or wherever you are, whatever church you're associated with, you can take this home to your church, is that we have the authority to administer discipline. We have the authority to administer discipline. In Matthew 18, that's where Jesus says, look, if a brother has, something, has, has done something against you, then you need to go and confront him one-on-one. And if the brother doesn't hear you, then you take another brother. And try to talk with him. Try to bring him to understand. If he doesn't, then you take two more. And so on and so on. Do you understand what what that passage is talking about? And then he says, if the brother refuses, bring it to the church. If the brother refuses, then bring it to the church. Often, that is in conjunction with some with leadership, maybe one of the deacons or something, but bring it to the church. Then it becomes a public thing, and we deal with it publicly. We have the authority to confront sin and unrepentant sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's the account where Paul says, look, I've been told by someone from Chloe's house that there's a guy in your church that is sleeping having immoral relations with his father's wife. I don't know what all that means, but that doesn't sound real good. And he's saying, what are you guys doing? 
you guys are actually allowing that. You know it's happening and you're allowing that to happen. He says, I don't talk to him. I'm talking to you as a church. You need to take care of the one who's sinning. We have the authority to confront sin and to expel the one who is unrepentant. Now in that case, the brother repented. And then Paul was quick to say, now listen, he repented. Receive him back in lest he gets discouraged. That's the authority of the church. For the sake of Christ and his bride, we have that authority. He wants the bride of Christ to flourish, to be beautiful, the body to function well. And if we fail to embrace the authority that he gives to us because we have an aversion to authority, then I wonder what kind of account, account we will give someday. And I'm speaking to myself, brothers and sisters. I am part of the body here. Verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such and one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not, do not ye judge them that are within? In other words, Paul is saying, look, why, we, we should be concerned about what's happening in the church. God will judge, in an earlier verse in that passage, he says, God will judge those who are outside the church. But we need to be aware of what's happening in the church and take care of the sin that's there. It is for us to judge. The last and final thing, authority we have, is making decisions in the church. We go back to Acts 15, where... The, the Jerusalem council was taking place because there was issues in the church. And it says there was great disputing among the church. Like they were getting together and they were hammering out the issue along with the leaders there. And they came to a conclusion. The church has the authority to make decisions, brothers and sisters. These decisions always need to be made with truth as the foundation. God's word always has to be the foundation for our decision making. The decision making is anything from just, you know, how do we want to do this service to how do we apply the doctrines and the principles of scripture, the, the, the really heavy duty ones. How do we do this? How do we go about living out the gospel and making the kingdom of God visible to the world. How do we do that? And we get together and we figure it out. The church, Jesus says, I give you the authority. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it is so. The body comes together. It's not an individual. It's the body that chooses how to do this. We make decisions together. The authority is in the body connected to Christ, the head, And the foundation is truth. The final thing that I want to bring to us is the leader's authority in the church. And this is the one that speaks directly to myself. Brother Kendall's the only other minister here this morning, but Ken and Vanson and any other ministers, Brother John is retired. But this speaks directly to us. 
And I, I trust, brothers and sisters, that you will understand our, our, uh, our focus here. I have simply put together a series of verses that help us see the responsibility that we have as leaders to shepherd you, to be part of you in leading you in good paths. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to ministers, to, to elders in the church. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. So there we have one thing that is our responsibility. We are called to oversee the flock. I'm not going to take time to just to dissect all that or to, to break that down. We are called to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And when you, when you think about that, and I'm speaking to us ministers this morning, when you think about the price that, that um, Christ paid for his bride, the responsibility to lead and to feed well is serious. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, holding fast the faithful words, talking to Titus, to us ministers, hold fast to the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So one of the responsibilities is to exhort and to convince those who are saying opposing things. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. 1 Peter 5, 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Do you, do you understand, brothers and sisters, the responsibility, the authority lies underneath serving. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Preach the word, be instant in season, and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and they that may, and that they may. Re recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And the things that I, I just want to point out, brothers and sisters, 
is the authority that God gives his leaders is not to be the kind of authority that is overbearing and with constraint and all of that. You understand that. You understand what those passages said. And there isn't one of us that wants to do that. But with that also comes responsibility to shepherd well, to guide, to make sure we teach and to instruct in truth. And sometimes we have to confront untruth, sin. That's part of the responsibility that comes with the authority of leading the flock. And, and we cringe at that word authority. And I understand what, I hope you understand that I'm coming at it from a good sense. Okay? I, I'm trying to come at it from a good sense. And that last verse, when it says, for they watch for your souls, that is, that is a responsibility that is placed on us. And I would say not just on us, but anyone that is in authority. Fathers, that is also for you and your children. You must watch for the souls of your children. Us shepherds of the church must watch out for your souls. We will give an account for your souls, my soul, my family's soul. And when we, when we chafe at that responsibility that comes with that authority, I wonder how effective we are as God's church. Six things that we need to know that work against the body. This comes from Rick Rhodes. Six things that work against the body. Isolation, which is anti-relationship. Rebellion, anti-authority. Independence, which is anti-brotherhood. Self-exaltation, which is pride. Secrecy, which is anti-confession. Those six things work against the body. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that what was said this morning would not have been amiss. If there's things that I said that were wrong, would you erase them from our minds and our hearts? Only truth, Father, only truth. 